Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along, and if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we are going to be looking in the book of Daniel. We'll be in the fifth chapter now. And we'll be going down from verse 1 down to verse 19. And last time we uh, finished up chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, finally, after what we think is about seven years, uh, finally, after seven, quote, periods of time, uh, he was living out in the, like, in the wild, like an animal. He had lost his mind. He, um, he was out there until he finally acknowledged God and acknowledged, you know, God's power, not his power. Oh, hard-headed Nebuchadnezzar finally came around. And when he did, God restored his kingdom, not only restored his kingdom, but added to his glory. And then we get a picture not only of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom restored, we get a picture of Nebuchadnezzar, the first great world ruler, the first great uh, empire of the world. This man praised God. Isn't it ironic today that this man, right in the heart of um, areas of the world that are so uh, against uh, Christians, and against uh, the nation Israel, that all these people are descendants of this one great world ruler. And this one great world ruler was praising God. He was the first ruler that um, praised God. So, you know, these people today are going against their own, um, their own ancestor. And so if you want to be technical about it, they're the ones who um, are off the mark in terms of um, where their acknowledgement should be. So now we come to, to chapter 5, we get King Belshazzar. Uh, King Belshazzar's name kind of sounds a little bit like Belteshazzar, uh, Um that was Daniel's name, and Daniel's name uh, means, uh, O lady, protect the king, and uh, Belshazzar means, O bell, protect the king. So their um, names are a little bit similar uh, sounding. Um, 
Belshazzar is not the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but he's a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. But sometimes they refer to him, uh, they refer to Nebuchadnezzar as his father, but this was a, um, a way of introducing people in Aramaic. It's sort of like in the Hebrew, it can mean ancestor or predecessor. So that's where we find ourselves with King Belshazzar, one of the grandsons of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, of course, Nebuchadnezzar has the greatest kingdom, and his grandson was one of the co-rulers. I think his brother, um, Nabonidus, was sort of a co-ruler, and he was off, apparently, um, on some journey somewhere. So Belshazzar's in control, and then you you get uh, now, apparently, the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar uh, has faded because now you've got other, other kingdoms sensing a weakness in uh, the Babylonian Empire. So you've got now this great city of Babylon that no world power used to mess with, but now you've got the uh, Mede-Persian Empire on the gates of Babylon trying to storm the city. So the city now is under siege, and of course, uh, Belshazzar's inside the city. They're fortified. These city walls are were considered at the time impenetrable. Um, they had stores of grain that would keep them going for years. Uh, they have, there's a river that runs through the city, so they had a uh, water supply, and um, the city was considered impenetrable. The walls were so thick, uh, it is said that you could ride four chariots side by side all around the upper walls, uh, sort of as, as lookout positions, so they were able to um, bring supplies to probably any place uh, around the walls of the city, and the chariots wouldn't get blocked for one another. You could probably pass one another quite easily because it was four lanes wide. It's like McGee says, it's like a four-lane highway all around the city. So there was people up there that could bring supplies, and of course they could um, use you know, their ammunition to fire upon anybody trying to uh, bring any breaches on the walls. So inside there's a great big um, uh, party going on and uh, there's a lot of wine involved. The people are, you know, uh, drunk apparently. And uh, as they're drinking, they're praising their own gods. McGee says they're using sort of the worship um, to cover up the alcohol issues that they had. So everything's in the name of worship sometimes. And so it's kind of that hypocrisy of their generation. They were, um, um, you know, there was nothing sacred uh, anymore about their own worship. And then at some point, probably they were bored. They didn't have anything else to do. And then Belshazzar, trying to probably impress all his guests, said, bring out the gold, you know, from the temple, let's drink out of that. He was probably trying to find ways to entertain his guests. 
And these were things that had never been taken out of the temple. And probably when Nebuchadnezzar was alive, he was he he made sure that they honored and respected these uh, things from uh, the nation, because you know he respected the God of Israel, and he would probably want to respect these golden vessels from the temple. But not Belshazzar in in his alcoholic stupor. He was trying to do things probably outlandish, and this was what he comes up with. And then we're going to see uh, immediately this hand writes on the wall um, something that nobody could interpret, and that's when they bring Daniel out. And it's interesting that the king, you know, didn't really have Daniel around. Daniel had sort of faded into the background during the time of uh, these this uh, uh, sons and then grandsons of Nebuchadnezzar. And then we're going to see uh, Daniel again being asked to interpret something. And this time it's not a dream. God doesn't approach Daniel, I mean, God doesn't approach Belshazzar uh, in a dream. He's not trying to reach Belshazzar. He knows Belshazzar is beyond reach. So he doesn't try to give a dream trying to turn his heart. You know, he just writes it on the wall for him to read. You know, like this is the way it is. So God's treating him differently. And when Daniel comes in, Daniel doesn't really waste a lot of time either. He just, you know, interprets the handwriting on the wall and he turns down all the the freebie gifts that the king tries to give him, you know, to butter him up. Of course, the king doesn't refer to Daniel very good too. He doesn't even refer to Daniel as like, the third in the kingdom in terms of power, you know, that his, his uh, grandfather has made him, you know. He only refers to Daniel as one of, the, one of the exiles, one of the POWs, you know. But he does say, you know, I've heard about your wisdom. But he doesn't even give him the, the acknowledgement. You know, Belshazzar doesn't acknowledge God. He doesn't acknowledge the golden vessels of God. You know, in the in, that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem, that those were God's possessions. He doesn't acknowledge Daniel as even um, a ruler in his own kingdom. The only thing Belshazzar acknowledges is Daniel's wisdom, something that he wants. So Belshazzar's he doesn't try to sugarcoat it either. He doesn't try to be very diplomatic. He just tells Daniel what he wants and Daniel tells him he gives him what he wants but there's no formality here so we'll take up this reading we're going to go one through verse 19 and with that in mind let's see how uh, Belshazzar uh, looks and can you see some of Belshazzar's nature in some of our generation today do you see it in do you see his some of his things in yourself sometimes we are so self-centered, we try to please our uh, peers around us by doing more and more outlandish things, things that, that might be offensive to God, but it doesn't matter because we're seeking the approval of our peers or we're seeking, you know, we want to make ourselves seem more and more outlandish so that people say, wow, he's wild and crazy or she's so wild and crazy. You know, it's like you want to make yourself up to be this image before people, so people will respect you 
and adore you? Or are you chasing popularity? Are you chasing um, whatever adulation from other people to the point where it goes against God? Or you put yourself in circumstances where you do things that you might not ordinarily do. Or maybe it's under the influence of alcohol. Whatever. But look at His actions with relationship to some of the things that you see around us today. Chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. So this is a big, big party and there's alcohol involved. McGee says, how many parties do you see with alcohol involved? You can dress them up and you can call them cocktail parties or you can call them wine tasting events or or you can just call, call them keg parties or whatever. But a lot of times parties are all set up with the premise on alcohol. And maybe there's nothing more involved than the alcohol. It becomes central to the party. Like cocktail hours at these bars. There's not, you know, The only thing that these people have in common is to come together around the alcohol. And how superficial is that? Chapter 5, verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, okay, this is after he's drunk, basically, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines might drink from them, okay? So this is going to defile these vessels. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lord and his, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So they drank all these wines out of these golden vessels. They're drunk and they're covering up all their drinking or they're doing that in the pretense that um, they're sort of worshiping at the same time. Look at the hypocrisy going on here claiming themselves to be real religious people or pious people, okay, important people, doing things that are nowhere near being very pious, being very religious, being very wise. Verse 5, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. Now this human hand, could it be an angel? Could it be a hand of God? Whatever it was, it was a terrifying thing to see because it was very supernatural. It was very out of place and it sobered up people. They were drunk on wine, but it sobered everybody up for sure. And the king saw it, the hand as it wrote. So it's all in real time. The king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. I bet he was white as snow. I bet he was as pale like he's seeing a ghost. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. He was ready to faint. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now the king immediately has been humbled. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, you know, 
from an interpretation of a dream. This king was just humbled right off the bat. He crossed the line. He did something that defiled those golden vessels from the from the temple of God. Those belonged to God. And basically, this act, this supernatural act, all of a sudden in front of all of his guests has humbled the king. He's made the king look like a fool. It's made this wise king look completely ignorant. This made this powerful king in an instant look powerfully powerless. It's made this king look indecisive. It's made this king look so vulnerable in front of all the guests. So the king trying to look wise, trying to look like a ruler, is issuing a decree, calling people in and throwing gifts in front of these people right off the bat. He's not trying to challenge them. He just wants anybody to interpret the dream so they can get back to the party or so he can be made look like a decisive king. He's not even talking about whoever can tell me who did this or what this is. He doesn't even ask him for that. He probably knows that they don't know. But he's just he wants to know what the writing on the wall means. That's all he probably has enough courage to ask for. He doesn't even approach who writes this writing on the wall. And he says that you should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That's either a phrase or um his brother, uh, Nabondius, you know, his brother was the co-ruler, so um, he was probably out and about. Now, I believe Daniel should have been uh, third ruler, but he doesn't even acknowledge Daniel, Daniel's position in the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar did. So he just bypasses Daniel and says, anybody that reads this gets to, you know, gets to be third ruler. He doesn't even remember that Daniel has already done this twice, that Daniel had bested these wise men and rulers. Daniel was already third ruler in the kingdom. But this is just how foolish uh, Belshazzar was. He's just defiled uh, God's possessions, and he's just defiled Daniel. He's just defiled his own uh, third ruler. Then all the king's wise men came in. Now, they didn't come in talking about Daniel. They didn't come in acknowledging Daniel or telling the king to go get Daniel. I mean, Daniel's already shown them up twice already. They're alive because of Daniel. Because if, they did, if Daniel didn't interpret the king's first dream, everybody was to be executed. Remember, that was the golden statue that nobody could interpret that dream. So anyway, these wise men were probably coming in. They were probably jealous of Daniel. They were probably coming in thinking, well, all we got to do is read. You know, maybe, maybe it's in a different language. Maybe this is easier, you know. This is easier than the than the dream thing we couldn't interpret or the or the tree we couldn't interpret, you know. We didn't even know any of that. So they came in but they couldn't read the writing. 
Verse 8, they came in, but they could not read the writing or made known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belteshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. He didn't know what to do. He was at a dead-end road in his own hypocrisy. Foolish as he was in front of all his guests, drunk. There were probably people in that audience that knew he wasn't supposed to take those golden vessels. They were probably thinking, you know, what a foolish king we've got now. We've got the meat, they got the Persians outside the gates. They're storming the city. And this is the man who's supposed to protect us. He can't even read the writing on the wall. And probably deep down inside this king's heart, he knew that these people were outside the walls. He was probably scared of him, and he's probably having this great big feast anyway to make people feel better, to make people be drunk and still like the king. He's trying to keep himself in power. Verse 10, then uh, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banqueting hall you know, she knows what's going on and she knows the king's in trouble and she knows the king has nobody to interpret this. So the queen declared, O king, live forever. You know, she formally addresses him. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. She knows he's scared to death. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king. Now this phrase, your father, could is really meaning your grandfather, your ancestor. Made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astronomers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, to solve problems were found in this Daniel. Whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. First off, they don't acknowledge Daniel's position in the kingdom. Second of all, the only thing they acknowledge is what they want. That's his ability to do something for him, that he's wise, smarter than all the other folks. And they don't, uh, you know, they, but they do refer to him as his name, Daniel. Okay, she calls him Daniel. Because Daniel's probably goes by his own name. He didn't go by Del- Belteshazzar like they wanted him to forget his own name. And probably King Nebuchadnezzar let him do it. Because King Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed and fond of Daniel. And it made him third in the kingdom. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel. So the king refers to him as Daniel as well. He doesn't even refer to him as uh, uh, Belteshazzar. Okay, so at least he's acknowledging Daniel's name. He's probably doing it because he wants to get something from Daniel. But he doesn't refer to Daniel's position, interestingly. He refers to him as one of the POWs, one of the exiles. You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard that I have heard of uh of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, that the light of a an understanding and exi- excellent wisdom are found in you. 
Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation on the ma- of the matter. So he doesn't come in to talk with Daniel to bring him into the feast or anything. He just brings him in to, you know, give me something I need. Verse 16, but I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be called third ruler in the kingdom. This is something Daniel already has. He already has this. Of course, this king probably doesn't acknowledge it. Maybe maybe Daniel, maybe they took that position away from him. Maybe they, this generation doesn't even acknowledge it, you know. What if, for whatever reason, Daniel is, um, had been ignored. But then what does Daniel say? Now, Daniel is somebody so wise that he knows what's going on. So Daniel obviously probably already knows that the king's in trouble and why he's asking him, and he probably knows that this is a foolish king. He knows that the Persians are outside the city walls storming the gates, trying to storm the gates and attack the city. And he knows this king has been doing foolish things with the um, holy vessels of, of God from the temple of God from the temple in Jerusalem. So Daniel probably knows all these things already. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. He doesn't address him, O king, live forever, like the queen acknowledges um, Belshazzar. He doesn't say, O king, live forever, like he acknowledges King Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't give any royal address to this guy. Because he knows he's a fool. And he knows this fool's only going to be in power for a few more hours anyway. The king doesn't address him with his position. Daniel doesn't address the king for his position. And he doesn't accept any of his gifts from such a fool. Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, you know, in any event... I don't need you. I don't need your gifts. I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Okay? O king, verse 18, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness, glory and majesty. Okay? So he's telling this king. He says, O king, he acknowledges the most high God gave your grandfather... All these great things, glory and majesty. Notice how he doesn't say, you have this glory and majesty. Verse 19, And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. King Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of power as a king, and God let Nebuchadnezzar be probably the greatest king because he um, lifts people, he lifts languages and nations, and he brought them down. He kept people alive, 
whom he would. He raised up people whom he would. He humbled people just like God did him. He was the closest thing to the greatest ruler on earth that we had seen yet today. And he was a world ruler, a world power. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, after he acknowledged God, God uses him. And uh, he was a great, great king. Interesting. This great king worshipped God and was the greatest king in this time to worship God. Right in the middle of a place nowadays that doesn't acknowledge God. Isn't that interesting? That just generation goes against their greatest king. Isn't that interesting? So we're going to stop here today. McGee leaves us off on a cliffhanger. What is going to happen? What is Daniel going to do? How is this dream going to be interpreted? And what is Belshazzar going to do when he hears the interpretation of this dream? So we'll leave it here and we'll take up this uh, cliffhanger tomorrow. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great and I hope we all are enjoying this um, great study of Daniel as much as I am. I'm loving this study. It's such a great, great book. So much drama, so much for us to learn as how uh, honoring God, honoring God's word applies to us today. For me to all of you, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Daniel chapter 5, beginning at verse 1 all the way to verse 19. This chapter contains the downfall of Babylon, which Daniel, the prophet, had actually foretold as he read the handwriting on the wall at Belshazzar's feast. So in this chapter... Verses 1 to verse 4, it talks of the Feast of Belshazzar. And um, verses 5 to verse 9 talks about the finger of, of God writing upon the wall at the Feast of Belshazzar. And verses 8 to 12 looks at the failure of the wise men to read the handwriting. And Daniel is summoned from retirement to come and read the writing on the wall and interpret it. Verse 12 to verse 13 talks about um you know daniel coming face to face with the king and the king trying to flatter daniel with a reward for him in order for him to actually interpret the writing on the wall and um daniel rejects the gifts but agrees to actually interpret the handwriting and verse 30 to verse 31 talks about the fall of babylon which is actually fulfilled that very night when belshazzar held um an extravagant ceremony and feast so now scripture reads at verse 1 in chapter 5 of the book of daniel belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drunk so it starts by you know drinking you know alcoholic drink he drank wine in the presence of the thousands so you know here it talks about um Belshazzar throwing, you know, a lavish, um, a lavish event, a lavish ceremony with so much alcohol to drink. It was so lavish and it was just, yeah. Um, so now here, 
we're going to look at um, a brief history of who Belshazzar is. Dr. J.B. McGee went into a little bit of detail in order for us to actually understand. So here, who is Belshazzar and how did he actually get to the throne? So Belshazzar is the eldest son of neighbor Nitus. And, um, you know, Dr. J.B. McGee took a recap um, of the events that succeeded Nebuchadnezzar after Nebuchadnezzar died. So, at Nebuchadnezzar's death, his only son, Ethiel, Maradoc, succeeded him to the throne, and that was about 561 BC. So, he was murdered by Nergal Sheraza, who was married to one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters, and replaced him on the throne at about 559 BC. Nergal Shirza was succeeded by his young son who reigned just for a few months before he was actually murdered by um neighbor night uh neighbor yes neighbor Natis, who was um a husband to another daughter of nebuchadnezzar so neighbor um Nabonitis, sorry, yeah, Nabonitis was the last ruler of the Babylonian Empire and he spent much of his reign away from um, the empire and he was on foreign expeditions. And um, Belshazzar, his son, um, remained at Babylon as a co regent for the king, so that's how he got to the throne so the prophet jeremiah has actually spoken of this if we go to the book of jeremiah chapter 27 at verse 7 and i will just quickly turn there and read and it reads so all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land comes and then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them so this was prophesied by jeremiah that you know the kingdom babylon would actually go on until you know his uh, nebuchadnezzar's son rules and his son's son rule, reigns and um this prophecy actually um came to pass so the kingdom you know it lasted it would last through the reign of a son and a grandson of nebuchadnezzar and this would end you know the Babylonian kingdom as the head of gold after this particular period passed so when Belshazzar offered a position to Daniel it was to be you know the third in the kingdom because he was the second from his father um, Nabonidus who was actually the king this is why when Daniel was called in to actually make an interpretation of the writing on the wall. Belshazzar says, I'm going to offer you, um, you know, a garment of scarlet with a gold chain and the third position in this kingdom. So Belshazzar was, you know, such an arrogant person as he put up, you know, a lavish celebration while the armies of uh, Gobri us were in full view of the city so i don't know maybe it was a way of just trying to calm everybody and just show them oh i've got this under control um you know he was very impudent and very um very very arrogant you know because he was bragging and 
probably boasting to everybody, you know, how fortified the city was and how no one could actually breach through its walls because, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had built the city to withstand any type of siege. So the city wall was um, 15 miles square and it was made of brick. Uh, it was 300 feet high and wide enough for like four chariots to actually travel um you know abreast around the wall the city wall so and um you know the city had a supply of water and grain that was going that would actually last them for years so scripture goes on to read in verse 2 it says while he tasted the wine belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in jerusalem that the king and his lords his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Verse 3 goes into it. Then he, they brought the gold vessels that they had taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank for, from them. This is so blasphemous and this is just wrong. So, you know, here, you know, Belshazzar... You know, he's not only defying, like, his enemies outside by saying, oh, hey, you know, we're the greatest nation ever. He is also, um, you know, he is also defying God. So he's under the influence of alcohol. And, you know, he does a blasphemous thing. And, um, you know, something that his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, would never have done. And, you know... He uses the vessels um, to serve the guests. You know, he pours in wine and defiles these vessels to, uh, and, and serves them to his guests. So the vessels, you know, they are not holy anymore. Uh, but Belshazzar is defying God by this particular act. And, you know, today we have a lot of, um, you know, men and women out here today who defy God. But God's, you know, God, God, God has got a lot of time. He's got time and he takes his time and he takes care of situations. You know, there's been many examples of um, different people and how God has actually taken care of the situation. And uh, people tend to think they're smarter than God. So uh, Belshazzar had been warned about this. And, you know, even uh, if you go to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 1, it actually reads, He who who is offered who sorry he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy so this um Belshazzar, he had a stiffened neck he wasn't someone who like was going to change like his heart was just as black as coal and just uh, his neck was stiff and um he wasn't like his grandfather he wasn't a redeemable person so verse 4 of um, Daniel chapter 5 goes on to read, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So, you know, they were making toasts. And uh, Babylon, you know, it was, you know, the head of idols. And um, here, you know, they drank from these particular vessels and praised their God, so um, you know they clothed their sin as an act of 
worship so the word busy toasting to the god of this the god of that and i'm pretty sure they made like a lot of toasts because they had so many idol gods so verse 5 of scripture goes on to read in the same hour the fingers of a man's hands appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote so here now god moves in and he closes in on uh, belshazzar so god directly intervenes as god would not endure you know this insult to heaven you know did god write it in anger i think he wrote it in anger um you know god didn't even wait to actually send this message through a dream and all he just directly intervened and uh belshazzar saw this hand writing on the wall um verse 6 goes on to read then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other so now you can imagine like there was so much joy and laughter and he was going around with his impudence and and, and arrogance and uh, saying bring those those vessels that they got from um the temple in jerusalem would we'll drink wine from that and they were making toasts and laughing and making toasts to their gods and you know all of a sudden his countenance just changed so the king couldn't stand up you know obviously he was drunk because you know the statement started with um alcohol and um you know you have um you know a lot of cases with um alcohol around us today you know and it's not even a drug problem just like in our country alcohol is the biggest problem you know we have like if you just look around it's a sad situation we have like more bars than schools we have more bars than hospitals we we just have more bars than anything that's recreational so people just tend to just drink 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 and you know the the moral levels of our society are just you know becoming worse and worse and it's just sad to look around you have a lot of young people who are you know um now addicted to alcohol and all they just do is they don't do anything productive all they just do is um they just drink and drink and it's it's just a sad reality so now here the king couldn't stand up obviously he was drunk and he was um he was also scared to actually stand up i'm pretty sure the alcohol cleared from his system when he saw this hand of god writing on the wall so verse 7 goes on to read the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers the chaldeans and the soothsayers the king spoke saying to the wise men of babylon whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom so there it is third ruler so he was the second ruler his father was the f- king and then there was belshazzar so he promised the he promised these people that he they were going to be the third ruler so belshazzar you know um he calls in these wise men he brings them in and he asks them for an interpretation for you know in exchange for reward and you know they don't know the answer verse 8 goes on to read now all the king's wise men came but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation so all these wise men soothsayers and you know all the wise men of babylon they came through and they just couldn't interpret it interpret it and this is um <clears throat> you know this is like a third time that these wise men of babylon have actually failed to 
um, interpret something or say something smart. Um, so verse 8 goes on to read, Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writings or make known to the king its interpretation. So these wise men were blank. Like these are the wisest men in Babylon and they just didn't know anything. Verse 9 goes on to read, Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. So everybody in the party, you know, imagine from like laughter and just people joking around and talking. And then all of a sudden it's just quiet because everyone is just now perplexed and surprised. Like, what is that that's written on the wall? And Belshazzar was greatly troubled by this. So now drop down to verse 10 and it reads the queen. This queen here is the queen mother. So here the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians and astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. So now here the queen mother, you know, she heard about uh, what was happening and she actually comes in to talk to her uh, grandson and to talk to him and um, advises him that Daniel should be called to actually read the writing on the wall and to interpret it, to give the interpretation. So now verse 13 goes on to read, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you, are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. So Daniel here is brought and he's been you know because he was set aside um for a purpose so he's actually brought in the presence of the king and the king you know starts by all this flattery and say are you not this this and this daniel um you know who um like one of the captives from judah whom my father the king brought from judah um i have heard that you that the spirit of god is in you and that you that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. So he just, you know, flatters Daniel and, you know, begins all this flattery. So, um, <clears throat> verse 15 goes on to read, Now the wise men, the astrologers, have also have been brought in before me and they should, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. So here, now, um, the king is explaining to Daniel, um, all these soothsayers and astrologers were actually brought in and they, they have failed to actually interpret what is being said. And so the king now offers Daniel 
um, you know, the same thing that he offered the wise men, the reward. And scripture goes on to read, I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So this he's saying it again. He shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel's response, um, you know, he spurred spurned the king the king's gifts and uh, daniel didn't want that particular reward because he wasn't interested in it so um you know if it was on a different time you know i'm pretty sure the king would have taken offense after offering him like the third highest position in in, in you know in the city so now verse 17 goes on to read then daniel answered and said before the king let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the, the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Um, so Daniel actually, um, you know, that's where he says, I do not want your gifts. So verse 18 goes on to read, O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. Verse 19. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished he executed, whomever he wished he kept alive, whomever he wished he set up, whomever he wished he put down. So here, Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute ruler on this earth, as you can actually see from Daniel's explanation. And, you know, till today, there has been no world leader like Nebuchadnezzar until the coming of the Antichrist who's going to have an absolute rule and reign. So yeah, this is today's teaching and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a historic teaching and these are prophecies that have actually been fulfilled. But uh, for me, I picked out the fact that, you know, um, you know, pride you know, you stiffen your neck and God will actually um, remind you who's actually running the show here on earth. It's actually God. He is in charge. He is the king of, um, you know, men's kingdoms here on earth. People have tried to form um, little mini empires uh, with the fortunes they've actually gained here on earth. And they leave God out of the equation. And, um, and God's just watching. Because God, God has time and he will deal with each one and every of us accordingly. So yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.